0: Executive Director of Sisters in Crime, and I am really delighted to welcome Edith Maxwell to the podcast today. Agatha award-winning author Edith Maxwell writes the Quaker Midwife Mysteries, the Local Foods Mysteries, and Short Crime Fiction. As Maddie Day, she pens the Country Store Mysteries and Cozy Capers Book Group Mysteries. A past president of Sisters in Crime New England, she's a member of Mystery Writers of America and a lifetime member of Sisters in Crime. A fourth-generation Californian, Maxwell lives with her beau north of Boston, where she writes, she gardens, cooks, and wastes time on Facebook. (laughs) Find her and Maddie at edithmaxwell.com, wickedauthors.com, mysteryloverskitchen, and on social media. Welcome to the podcast, Edith.
1: Thank you so much, Julie. I'm really delighted to join this long cast of, uh, stellar people you have interviewed on these podcasts.
0: Well, I'm looking forward to our conversation about writing. Uh, you are a very prolific writer. Uh, and we're going to talk about that and your series and and the different pen names and everything else, because there's a lot to talk about. Um, but I want to start where I always start and, and talk about your, how did you begin your writing journey? When did you say to yourself, I want to write a novel, you know, um, specifically. Like, when did you start on the mystery writing journey?
1: I mean, I wrote a lot as a child. I wrote a lot of fiction, and then I stopped writing fiction in high school. Um, I had a short story published in the Pasadena Star News when I was 11, and I won a contest, and they paid me $2. Um, So that was the first money I made writing fiction. And then I didn't write fiction again for decades, And my younger son went off to kindergarten in the mid-90s. And all of a sudden, I had every morning to myself. And I loved reading cozy mysteries. And I was running, owned, and ran a small organic farm at the time. I thought, well, I can write a mystery knowing nothing, having never studied creative writing. Um, And I started writing one. And I found a writer's group, a critique group, which was hugely valuable, run by Susan Oleski, a longtime member mm-hmm. of Sisters in Crime New England. My first mm-hmm. writing teacher, really. And, um, you know, I read scenes in that group every Wednesday night for most of the year. And then the farming season started up and I, in the fall, I decided I really needed to re-educate myself. Um, to get back into the paid workforce. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I had this, I was teaching childhood classes. I had a small farm, but I really wasn't making very much money. And I kind of forecast that a divorce might be in my future. And I needed to get back into the paid workforce. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't figure out a way to, and then I got a full-time job as a software technical writer. So I was writing for a living, but not fiction, procedural writing. And I couldn't I couldn't manage to. And I was raising two young children and had a difficult marriage. I couldn't really figure out how to carry the, the story and finish that book I'd written about two mm-hmm. thirds of. Um, so but that's when I first got the idea. I can write a novel. I can write a whole novel.
0: And it was, was it always crime fiction? You know, I mean, that first book was, but but what about the genre drew you to it? I mean, were you ever tempted to write, you know, in another genre or was it always going to be crime fiction? It
1: was always going to be crime fiction and it was always going to be on the gentler side of crime fiction. Um, I was reading almost exclusively mysteries written by women with a woman protagonist. Mm -hmm. You know, I I launched into Sarah Paretsky and Sue Grafton, but also those cozies of the early 90s, um, Catherine Hall Page and Susan Wittig Albert and, you know, the various three-name cozy mystery authors that had recipes (laughs) and, add no gore on the page and no men talking about women's legs and bodies, you know, because the women protagonists don't talk like that. And that's what I like to read. And that's always what I have wanted to write. You know, I've branched out into historical mysteries, but they're still on the gentler mm-hmm. side and I still have a, a female protagonist.
0: So I love that you started and you know with Susan Lesky and 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 you know joining a group and starting and and then had took a pause but let's talk about your other lives i mean you're an academic you were you know you you, um, you so you had the academic writing and then you had um technical writing now these are two things that sometimes it's hard to to work out when you're trying to do creative um, writing, when you decided to go back to that first novel and we'll talk a little bit more, cause I, I do know you. So I know a little bit uh, more about this journey, but did you, did writing for, as a technical writer for those years do anything to the creative writer in you? Did you have to relearn things? I mean, how did you get, how did you hone your craft when you decided, you know, I'm going to do this again? So while technical writing is
1: not creative, you have to be very clear. There's no fluff. Yes. There's nothing extra. Um, you know, it's step one, this happens. Step two, this happens. Step three, you're done. Click save, whatever. Um, and I was writing for a video editing software company. So it's very interesting. Uh, on the negative side, it didn't leave me much energy to write during the week. You yeah. know, I mean, I was in front of a screen writing all day. On the plus side, I was working with words all the time. I had some very good editors and then I became a peer editor in my own group. Um, so I was really honing how to, how to write very clearly. So it, you know, it had pluses and minuses, but I always felt it was great and it, it, I didn't have to, I didn't have to abandon it when I switched over to fiction, say I had a couple hours Thursday night I was going to work on a short story. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, it was a joy to make up stuff. (laughs) It was a joy to write fiction. (laughs) Oh, I don't have to. This doesn't have to be in anybody's brain but my own. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I got laid off of that. So I just had that one first job for 14 years. And I got laid off in the fall of 2008 along with, half of the uh, the rest of high tech. And um, that's when I, so I had, I had kept honing my craft. I had joined Sisters in Crime. I discovered Sisters in Crime. Oh my God. I couldn't believe I hadn't joined before whenever it was 2004. You know, I went to my first New England crime bank and I heard about Sisters in Crime and I thought, this is my people,
0: (laughs) you know, I joined on the spot. I went
1: to my first meeting of the New England chapter at Kate Flores house. And Sheila Connolly had first signed her, signed her first two contracts. It It was fabulous. I was so happy, but I was still, I could only kind of see my way clear to write short stories. And I did. And I had several published. Um, but after I got laid off, um, Of course, what's the first thing I did? I wrote a short story of murderous revenge after layoff called Reduction in Force. (laughs) Uh, The manager ate it. Sorry, but it was very satisfying. And that was published the next year in Best New England Crime Fiction uh, Level Best Anthology. And then I thought, I have all this time. You can't look for a job eight hours a day. Right. You get up in the morning, you see if there's any new jobs to apply to. I had my resume organized and my networking. So I thought, well, I'll go back to that cozy on the farm that I had started writing. Mm -hmm. And I realized I had learned a lot and I would have to really rewrite the whole thing. So I started a different book, um, which ended up being um, speaking of murder. And that was my first murder that was published four years later, 10 years ago.
0: Ten years years ago. ago. And that name you used for that first novel, there are two in that series, Mm -hmm. um, was Tase Baker. Tase Baker, yeah.
1: So I I set up a contemporary Quaker linguistics professor as my amateur sleuth, And I was looking for a pen name. And, you know, you want a pen name to be unique, easy to spell, easy to pronounce, last name near the top of the alphabet, uh, URL available all those things. And um, I went looking for archaic Quaker names, first names. And I saw this name, Taste and I thought, well, that's just perfect. Nobody else has it. The URL will be available. um, And it's unique, and it's easy to spell and all that. Uh, And then I just picked Baker because I like to bake, and it's near the top of the alphabet. Um, Yeah, so that's how – so those two, that and – Bluffing is Murder, which is now called Murder on the Bluffs, um, came out in 2012 and I think
0: 2014. So when, you know, you joined Sisters in Crime 2004, New England Crime Bake is a a Conference here in New England for writers. It's small; about 250 people go. Um, It's a great conference. Uh, uh, So you know, you start to build your friend network and your community. But how did you keep developing your craft um, through all those all those years? Um, I've I've talked to Roberta Islip and I've talked to Halle Efron on this podcast, Um, and so we talked about Seascape a little bit. You could talk about that if you'd like. But how did you? you know, keep, keep honing a craft and learning. Cause it is a, it is a lifelong pursuit um, to do that. Lifelong.
1: Um, yes. Well, I, I went to Crime Bake every year and took workshops and master classes. Um, I joined the Guppies, Sisters in Crime Guppies, and there are online courses that have always been offered more and more now. Um, I'm now on the steering committee of the Guppies. Um, I, you know, Sisters in Crime New England one year sponsored a, a day-long workshop with Donald Mass, which was amazing, like very, there is still some tips that I carry with me, and that was at least 10 years ago, you were probably yeah. there, um, and talking with people and, you know, just doing everything I could, reading books and writing and continuing, I continued in that critique group. I continued in a new critique group, sorry, of um about half crime writers and and other other writers. It was really, really helpful uh that I read like once I started writing again, um, for, for mm-hmm. in earnest. Um, you know, I I think I read every scene of my first eight books to that group on Monday nights in Salem. Yeah. So that yeah. was really helpful. You just you never stop learning, you know.
0: You never yeah. stop learning. Yeah. So you mentioned that your publishing career it's uh, you know only 10 years old. You've had you had short stories before then, mm-hmm. but uh, for, um, for novels. Um, what's the best piece and the worst piece of writing advice you've been given?
1: I think the worst piece is you must do x or you can't yeah. do x. Like, you must write every day. Before I left my day job, I could not write fiction every day. You know, I was already getting up at 5 to leave the house at 5.30 to avoid Boston traffic with an hour commute. Um, I was toast at night. You know, I carved out long weekends and vacation time and Saturdays. I couldn't write every day. So that's that's just baloney to tell somebody they have to write every day or they won't make it. Now I write every right. day, absolutely. And, like, you can't write a prologue. Now, I personally have not used a prologue, but there are people who use prologues brilliantly, and there's people who don't. That should be chapter one, you know, but, but that those edicts, you can't yes. write a prologue, and you must write every day. Yeah. I just, it, if you can make it work for you, um, I mean, I give, when I critique beginning writers, um, one of my standard you must do this is is you must or you must not head hop so stick with one point of view per scene and i think for beginning writers that's really important and i still do it myself we all know that the great louise penny breaks that rule from book one every scene she'll go she'll slide around inside different people's heads and she she pulls it off so whatever You know, if you can pull it off, um, you can pull it off. But it's not good to start that way in general. Um, The best writing advice are two parts. One is butt in the chair, fingers on the keyboard. Like you can't fix what you haven't written. You can't sell what you haven't polished. You have to write it. You just have to write it. And um, I actually stand now instead of sit. But I show up for work, you know, at my desk. And I think that's really, really important. And then the other is find your tribe. And, of course, for us, as sisters in crime. But whatever your, your peer group is, your support group, the people you learn from, the people you network from with, uh, and the people then you can help as they're coming up. If you've made it a little better, you can help other people as they're coming up. And I just think that's everything.
0: Yeah, community uh, is something that as beginning writers, uh, people don't talk about enough Mm -hmm. that, you know, because it is such a solo pursuit, but it is so much easier once you've built your built your community and figured that out. I want to go back for one second. You mentioned joining the Guppies and uh, that you're on the steering committee. The Guppies, uh, for listeners who don't know, is a chapter of Sisters in Crime. It's a, an online chapter and Guppy stands for the great unpublished. And it is an extraordinary group <laughs> of people on that steering committee who help Hundreds of writers at all different stages of their career learn craft, learn business, join critique groups, um, you know, develop resources, all sorts of things. And uh, so it is, uh, as I said, it's an online chapter of Sisters in Crime. It is a tremendous resource. Um, for emerging writers, but many people stay with the guppies even after they're multi-published as, as you are uh, because of the camaraderie and the community and the support. And if you go to a conference uh, about your con malice, uh, I'm sure left coast crime, the guppies always meet up and, uh, and have a moment because seeing each other in 3d matters. exactly. Um, no, so. And
1: I'm, I'm so grateful that they let, you know, those of us who are published. And in fact, my, I think it's my 27th novel is coming out next month. And, um, you know, but I still have things to learn. I still signed up for classes. And um, there's all these subgroups, you know, the Agent Quest subgroup and a short story subgroup and manuscript swaps. Um, it's really wonderful. And, and um, there's a newbie's. Group that people stay in for the first three months. And I'm now the newbies liaison. So I post two topics every week for the newbies group. And it's really amazing. So it's a huge resource for Sisters in Crime. I always tell people, starters, it's, you know, go go join join National and then join the Guppies.
0: Yeah. It's a, it's a really extraordinary, uh, and an extraordinary group of volunteers who make it work because it's, it's, as I said, hundreds of people are in the Guppies thousand, over a thousand, Um,
1: over a thousand.
0: Over a thousand. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's really impressive. So Edith, as I mentioned, I, I do know you, so I know this story a little bit, but for our listeners, you've been published for 10 years, you know, as we're recording this, it's early 2022. 27th novels coming out a few years into your publishing journey, you decided to make a flip and start writing full time. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about your publishing journey? Um, and and also making that flip because you are, you do write anyone who follows Edith on social media knows (laughs) she writes every day, uh, she takes plotting walks, which I'd love to talk about as well. Uh, you're also a voracious reader and uh, a real supporter of other writers, which is is tremendously. You're you're a really good champion of the community and of other writers. But um, tell me about this. You know your transition. You're probably working harder now than you've ever worked in your life. Um, you know your series and the Maddie Day move, which which is you know maddie maddie has a following maddie sells a lot of books so she does. <laughs> talk to me about that journey that 10 year because 10 years is a blip it's not it's a long time but it's not that long it took you a while to get there but once there man right. 27 books
1: right. i want to say i want to briefly before i get into that say that i learned being that supportive from you julie like early on, when I met after I met you and we started being friends, you said social media is ninety percent about other people and ten percent about yourself, and that's retweeting, sharing posts, supporting your fellow authors. Um, I learned that from you. Just saying. Oh. So thank you.
0: <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I still believe it. Still stand by that. Exactly, I do too. Yeah.
1: Um, well. So I wrote that first novel, and I I went the whole, um, you know, looking for agents. I got discouraged after 50 rejections. Rejections are non-replies, which after a while, they don't reply. It's a rejection. Um, <clears throat> so I started looking at small presses that you didn't need to be an agent for, and I found one after a couple of misses. At that time, it was 2011, and... An email ran away from Sheila Connolly, who was president of the Sisters in Crime New England chapter, to the whole chapter saying, an agent, a New York agent, has contacted me, and he's looking to work with authors, published or unpublished, um, to develop cozy mystery proposals. And I thought, okay, here's an opening. (laughs) I have a completed manuscript. I hadn't signed a contract for Speaking of Murder yet. And I have some publication credits in short stories and crime fiction. I'm Mm -hmm. not going to waste this opening. And she had, she later said he asked for who can you recommend? And she said, I'm not going to recommend any particular people in our chapter. I'll send it to everybody. Um, and I wrote a query letter to this agent, um, the next day and I made sure there was no spelling errors. Like it was perfect. One page, you know, because I had already studied writing query agents to query letters to agents, um, through the guppies. And, um, he called me a couple days later and I had one of my suggestions was a series set on an organic farm, like that book I never finished <laughs> nine years, right. 12, 10 years earlier, whatever it was. So we worked up a proposal and by that after he sent it in, he'd sold it to Kensington Publishing within a week. So all of a sudden I had a three book contract for the local foods industries. And then I had a contract for that other book speaking of murder and that's why I had to use a pen name for that because Kensington mm-hmm. said I, I was reading the contract carefully and it said you can't publish mysteries under Edith Maxwell and I went whoa whoa so uh, my agent your agent um you know went back to Kensington Legal and they gave permission for me to use a pen name for the other books and I'm still working full time <laughs> and driving two yeah. hours a day to work
0: yeah
1: okay so I, I hung in there for, I think, two more years. Um, I think it was 2013, maybe 14, that I left my day job. And I, I just really, really wanted to write fiction. I wanted to write more fiction. You know, I was over 60, but I hadn't planned to leave the day job. And it was a, I worked in high tech. I was earning a, a very comfortable salary. But we had, My beau and I had relocated and we don't have a mortgage. And, you know, I just said, I'm just going to do this. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I left the day job and wrote the second Taste Baker book and kept writing the local foods books. When the third, when I had turned in the third book, um, but it hadn't come out yet, um, I was wondering if the contract would be renewed. They didn't seem to be selling spectacularly well. And I was a beginning mystery author, and Kensington had brought it out in hardcover, which I yeah, thought was a big mistake, yeah. because, like, who buys cozies in hardcover? <laughs> By yeah. an author, they don't know. Now, right. Reese Bowen, you might buy it in, you know, the, the much more well-established, you might buy it. Of course, you might buy it in hardcover first. It came out in mass-market paper back 11 months later. So I brainstormed with my agent, John Talbot, and we came up with this idea of a country store in southern Indiana and a protagonist who can both do carpentry and cook. And um, we pitched it to my editor at Kensington, and he said, I'd love it, but I want you to use a pen name. So again, I go back to my agent, and I said, but Edith Maxwell's just people just getting to know about her. And he said... It's probably because they want it to look like a different author, a new author of the bookstores in the, right. to booksellers. I said, okay, I'm not going to turn down a contract just because I have to use another name. So I, I, by various several cycles of proposing names, I came up with Maddie Day. Not the best pen name. There are other Maddie Days out there. Um, but whatever. And I've turned in the 11th Country Star Mystery now.
0: Wow! Wow. (laughs) And
1: and it turned out they did give me two more books in the local foods mysteries. And then they canceled that canceled after the fifth book. And that was fine. I expected they would. And I finished the fifth book mulch ado about murder in a way that I felt good about my characters. And, um, and then I kind of wanted something to replace that. So we pitched, uh, um, the cozy capers book group mysteries to my editor and that's set on Cape Cod, and everybody loves Cape Cod, even if they've never been there. People know Cape Cod; it's iconic. Um, mm-hmm. It's a seasonal community, um, and my protagonist is a um, an obsessive neat freak who owns and runs a bike shop, repair, rental, and retail, and lives in a tidy house behind her um, her shop with her African gray parrot, Belle, who's a character in this in the series. And that's been renewed through uh book seven. And that's which is good. Yeah. So I've turned in book four. That'll be out in uh, September, Murder in a Cape Cottage. So it's going well.
0: <laughs> yes, no, Maddie and those are contemporaries. Yeah. Um, but you've also written historical mysteries uh, as Edith Maxwell. Um, and so talk about that because they're, you know, they're both writing, but his writing historicals, I've, I've, I've talked to several historical writers. I, I mean, I mm-hmm. give you all such credit because the accuracy and the research and the really diving into a year or a period of time and helping the reader understand it and, and giving them the information is so much work. And the the demand of the readers is such precision that, you know, coming up with a fun mystery around that (laughs) is tough. And you made it, tougher for yourself by making it a Quaker midwife who's your protagonist. So there's like layers of stuff, but talk about that series.
1: Well, um, I, I got the idea for the first book. Um, after we had, we had relocated, we lived in a couple towns away and we moved to Amesbury where I have been a member of the Amesbury friends meeting church since 1989. And, um, we live in an antique house, um, and I had read a, an article in the newspaper about the Great Fire of 1888. Um, and at the time, uh, Amesbury was, had a lot of textile mills, but they were also world-famous for their carriages. They built sturdy, beautiful, graceful carriages and shipped them seriously all over the world. And the Great Fire of 88, 1888 burned down most of the carriage factories. It was a big, big deal. And I thought huh, what if it was arson? And what if a Quaker mill girl um, solved the arson? So I wrote a short story called Fire in Carriage Town. And it was published in Best New England Crime Fiction the next year. And the setting, the characters did not want to go away. And I mm-hmm. pitched it to my editor at Kensington for a series. And he said, I don't think the mill girl, who's 17 at the, at the start, um, is strong enough to carry a series for adults. And I didn't want to write a YA, a young adult a little grade book. So somewhere from the recesses of my hyperactive imagination, I came up with her aunt, Rose Carol, who's a midwife, in her mid-20s, not yet married, independent businesswoman. And so she's my amateur slew. Um, John Greenlee Whittier lived down the road. Um, and he's one of her mentors. I've been a docent at the John Greenleaf Whittier House Museum. And and I live in Amesbury. And I live in the house where I put actually put Rose and the family in in my house, which was built in eighteen eighty for the mill workers. And so wow. I walk around town and I can come up with stories and you know, a lot of the a lot of the old houses and factory buildings are still here, repurposed. You know hardware store, pizza place, counseling center, in these beautiful old brick buildings. Five of those books were nominated for an Agatha Award for Best Historical Mystery, and Charity's Burden, number four, won it two years ago, which is just like one of the pinnacles of my career so far. Uh, Really, really an honor. Um, I made a decision, so that that series after book four, after Charity's Burden, um, the publisher f- closed. They, Their parent publisher, you know, Midnight Inc., decided to close Midnight Inc., their crime fiction line. A grave disappointment. <laughs> A terrible thing to happen to many, yeah. many other authors as well as me. Yeah. Um, I really wasn't done with the series, with the Quaker Midnight Mysteries. I had already written book five. It was ready to turn in. So, um I cast around a little bit a lot of publishers conventional publishers don't want to pick up a series midstream um so i went with beyond the page which is a hybrid publisher and they do great editing and beautiful covers and that's it so they're not a publisher that has a publicist who does promotion or puts ads in magazines or anything and um those books were never huge huge sellers so i made the decision on my own terms, to end that series after book seven, which came out last April, A Changing Light. Um, although I've just written a new short story featuring Rose 10 years later and submitted it to an anthology, so we'll see about that, fingers crossed. And right now I'm writing, I am working on a new historical series set in 1926 Boston. I don't have a contract, yeah. it's just a dream project, no safety net and um we'll see where i go with that i'm giving myself till the end of february to really polish it i had written the first draft last summer and then i had to write a book under contract and i'm back to it and that you know when i when i have time i'm working on it i'm hoping to get it out to an editor before i have to get back to contract work. but but you're you're right to get back to your your comment about the research Oh, there's so much research, and now I'm in a whole no. new era, um, new words to look up, new vehicles to research, you know, new hats. My protagonist, Dorothy, loves hats, so every time she walks by a haberdasher, she's tempted to go in and buy a new cloche or a new beret or something. And I, it turns out I love being an amateur historian. Who knew? Yeah. I don't have any degrees in history, but I, I really, really love doing that research.
0: Well, and you know, your contemporaries require a certain amount of research as well. I mean, you know, you need to understand place and and language and you know what 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 it is. So it's all research. How do you balance? you know, you're writing two series right now, plus you're writing this uh, historical, and you're a very prolific short story writer. How do you balance? Can you work on multiple p- projects? at the same time in different phases? Do you, you know, do you do edits for one? And then, you know, how do you, how do you balance it all even?
1: Um, I do my best to work on one at a time. I I don't, like they're, those characters are living and dreaming and walking around in my brain. And I, I don't want to dilute that. Um, yeah. Before, after I turned in the book, I had a book due December 1st. And then I went on a very quick vacation, a vacation, oddly enough, to see family. And um, then it was Christmas, and I worked on two short stories before I launched back into my 1926 book. Um, and I got those done and polished and submitted to two different anthologies because I really wanted to do that, and they had deadlines. And actually, the deadline, yeah, one of them had a deadline. Um And now I'm back in 1926 and that I will stay there until the date I've given me myself to get back to a book under contract. Um, The only and I do that with all my first drafts, like I really I don't do anything else while I'm writing a first draft. And I really prefer it that way. It, It only blows up when I get in copy edits from a different book or a different series and they're due in two weeks. Right. I put down the first draft, I do the copy edits, I send them in, I go back to my book or I get in proofs and they're due in a week, you know, so I have to do those, right. They, they, they've yeah. got a, a closer deadline. Um, so it, it kind of depends on how close the deadline is, who gets priority. But I really don't, I don't work on a short story while I'm working on a book um, unless sometimes if I um, like, if I've worked, if I finish a first draft and done kind of a round of edits, self-revisions. Um, and I have time in my schedule to let it sit for a couple of weeks, to let it gel. I might work on a short story during that time. Um, yeah. But I wouldn't start another book, like in between, one in the middle of one book. That just, I don't think that would work for me. It may work for yeah. other people, but it doesn't work for me. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. Well, you know, it's obviously... Prolific um, work work structure for you and an ability to to juggle these things and stay in these worlds and invent new ones while you're doing yeah. it, which is so uh, so great for yourself and also for your readers. I mean,
1: it it only works because I I've found that I can write a really fast first draft. Like I can write a first draft in six weeks, six or seven weeks. Ah. Now my cozies are not; they're usually under three hundred pages. So I'm not writing, no. I'm not Elizabeth George, I'm not writing 700 page novels, that's two of my books, you know, yeah. um, so, but, but I just really focus on that first draft, I crank it out, and then I have another couple of months to to revise and polish and flesh out, and and as a former technical writer, going back to that, I do write short, to, my first drafts are always way too short, because I'm doing that sparse meat and bones yeah. kind of thing and then I or just the bones maybe um and then I go back in and I make all the clues work and drop red herrings and give it the most elegant language I can in the service of the story. You know, all those things add those reactions that I know but I forgot to add of the character after something happens. Um so but that's that's one reason I can write three or four books a year is that I can write such a fast first draft. <laughs>
0: Well, and you're a pantser, um, yes. and, but when you start a book, do you have a premise or, or how do you, you know, I mean, when you're in contract, you gotta, you gotta come up with a premise and, and start, but you know, for even for the book that you writing, your 1926 book, how do you, how do you start? What, what do, what do you have to have in place in order to feel like, okay, I'm ready to start this book?
1: So that varies a little bit if it's the first in a series or a standalone or if I already have the world set up. Um, If I'm building the whole world, if I was building my country store mysteries, I have to set up South Lake, Indiana, which is a fictional town. I have to set up who's my chef, who are her helpers, who are her relatives, what's the police department, like all that. But I do usually, well, my editor wants a synopsis before I start writing. And he would like (laughs) way more than I ever give him. (laughs) You know, he would like 10 pages single spaced and, I think maybe once I gave him five pages double space, but uh, I don't want to know the story before I write it. Who? Somebody else was on, was it Sarah Britz? Somebody else was saying the exact same thing. I don't want to know the story before I write it, and I, I'm yeah. that way. I, um, but I do have to have, you know, a victim and a murder weapon, and then as I write along, you know, I'll come up with three or four plausible suspects and what i like to say i follow them around and write down what they do you know and it becomes clear who's the bad guy sometimes i think i know at the beginning who it is and i it's wrong and i have to change it sometimes i always know sometimes i have to pick somebody okay i I tell myself maxwell you're three quarters of the way through the book pick one you know (laughs) because i'm almost done um so, so that, so that varies, but usually at the beginning, especially if it's a continuing, you know, I know my protagonist. I know the setting. I, I, I set the books usually about two to four months after the previous book. So I know the mm-hmm. season, and that's important in, it's always important. The season is it, is it blazing hot in August in Southern Indiana? And people want to kill each other just because they're too hot, you know? Or is it the winter on Cape Cod and nobody has a job and, you know, it's nobody's riding their bike because it's too icy, all those things. And I do like to cast around for interesting murder weapons, poisons and herbal things and sharpened knitting needles, you know, <laughs> hat pins, depending on the era. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then I, I really just start writing. And I, I write chronologically. I would never write the end before I write the beginning or before I write the middle. I just I I just have to march through the story until I get to the end. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it works for you. How long does it take you to write a from first, you know, from first sentence to, you know, polished draft that you send off? How, what what is how long is that usually
1: well, it's three or four months. It's three or four months. That's all I have. You know, if I'm writing, if I have three books under contract, I have four months. That's all I have. Yeah. Um, But I am usually, if I've started writing, if I've given myself that whole four months, I'm usually ready to send it in before the due date. So it could be under four months. Um, Wow. And so, yeah, last year I wrote four books. I wrote four books (laughs) last year.
0: And how many short stories?
1: You know... Uh, they are, there's always a long, long leg to when they come out, but I think I usually write two or three short stories a year. Um, yeah. I have one, I have two, I have one coming out in Ellery Queen this year, and one in Alfred Hitchcock. And That's then exciting. I have two more submitted to these conference anthologies, um, so we'll see. Maybe it'll be a four. And I had two come out. I had one in Ellery Queen in uh, the November-December issue this last year, and one in Bloodroot, the first of the new uh, crime spell books, best crime fiction.
0: Yeah, which is exciting.
1: Yeah, very
0: exciting. So, Edith, what do you wish you'd known earlier? Or what, you know, is there anything that you've, in either your publishing or your writing journey, what, you know, you you do the best you can, and you make decisions, and you know you've been very honest about all the all the conversations you've been having and figuring stuff out. What do you wish you'd known earlier, or what advice would you give an emerging writer?
1: That's a good question, and I know you sent me the questions beforehand, and I didn't really come up with an answer for that one. Um, uh, oh, I mean, I one thing I didn't know. Was how much time and effort and angst uh, promoting a book takes. I, mm-hmm. I had no idea, um, and you never know. Is this Instagram post doing it? Is this Facebook Live thing doing it? Is all my communicating with my the four cozy groups I'm on on Facebook what what has the the most impact on, on sales but in a way I just want people to read my book. If the library buys it that's fine. If yeah. their cousins loans it to them that's fine. I really want people I mean I, it's very nice to get a nice royalty check. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> and um, I those have been going up for me which is very very gratifying but um, I really just want people to read my book. So that's one thing I didn't know like get get ready. Um, yeah. I guess most of it is, I I guess I wish I'd found Sisters in Crime earlier um, than I did. So find your tribe, as I said before, you know, that's so important. Um, but I certainly didn't waste time once I did find it. <laughs> once I joined, yes. I was I was feet first, I was in there. Um, I got roped onto the New England board by Pat Remick at one point, and then You were president and co-chair of Crime Bank. And I said, Julie, I should probably start giving back and put me in the line of succession if you want me. And I ended up as president of the chapter, too. And it's one of the biggest Sisters in Crime chapters. Um, Yeah. uh, Yeah. You know, it's a ton of work, as you know, but it's totally worth it. Um, So I guess it's, I guess it is. And I also guess I wish I started I'd return to writing fiction earlier in my life. I think I just would have been happier. I mean, I've, I've had a ha- very happy life. Don't get me wrong. Um, but I think I would have. I played around with writing um, sort of uh, creative nonfiction essays and a memoir. Um, <clears throat> I was living in West Africa, and I wrote a, a memoir of, of short pieces. Um, but if I'd been writing fiction all that time, for I
0: could be now <laughs> <laughs> well <clears throat> you start when you are and yeah. you know the, the the famous in new england circles mm. sheila conley email uh launched a lot of careers lot. so um uh you know bless her Bless her soul. She is a, a truly missed person who I would have loved to have had on this podcast. Absolutely, um, but Absolutely. Um, you talk about a wonderful presence and giving back to the community. And that is Sheila. She stayed. She was. Um,
1: a, she stayed on the board the whole time until she moved to Ireland. She stayed on yeah. just as a member at large. And, and yeah. it's so great to have that legacy of knowledge um, yeah. that she had.
0: Yeah. And went to every event. She. Yeah. She was. She was something. She was something. Um, well. So twenty seven is coming out. You've got February, and you've got uh, for uh, the Indiana series, and September for the Cape Cod series. Maddie Day, both and two short stories this year. Yeah, and, um, so exciting, and people are going to be reading your books uh, for a few more years because you get you get contracts. I hope, so, I hope many more years. <laughs> many more years. <laughs> yeah. So, um. Thank you for a
1: great conversation, Eva. Oh, this has been so nice. Thank you, Julie. You're really a really wonderful interviewer, and um, it really is such a pleasure to to join this long list of people you've interviewed. They're fabulous yeah. podcasts, and if anybody hasn't listened to all the earlier ones, please go find them. Uh, yeah. Really, a, a an honor to be included. Thank you.
0: Well, thank you, um, and thank you all.